A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Craig Doyle and this is the Rugby Tonight podcast. On this week's show, Scotland legend Chris Patterson and England cricketer Johnny Bairstow joined us in the studio to analyse a thrilling opening round of Six Nations action and look ahead to the return of the Aviva Premiership this weekend. Here's the best of our Rugby Tonight insight and analysis from Austin Healy, Ben Kay, and our studio guests. How you doing? Good to see you. Ben. So, do you, want to just, do you want to just go straight for the gloating or, or how, uh, how do you want to play this? No, uh, it's not our style, is it? Like, the, uh, and the first thing to say about Saturday was that the tournament off to such a brilliant start. You know, the game between Scotland and Ireland. It's not always you see such a, an exciting game first up, a lot of nerves, a lot of tension, but what a game. Scotland started so well, Ireland came back into it. And the composure from the Scottish lads and the, the discipline and the leadership got them over the line in the end. Such a great competition, isn't it? And you must have, well, some happy memories. I'm looking up there with some, some <laughs> of the boys. That's the uh, campus Phil Vickery photograph. <laughs> Stop <You're>, it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it'll be great. It was all um, fun. Uh, well, what, are your, what are your memories, your personal memories of it all? That opening day when clean sheet, anything's possible? Oh, always a lot of excitement, huge excitement. I, I love the transition from club game to international game. You play... The same play against the same players, play alongside a lot of the same players, but it was completely different. So for Edinburgh playing Leinster one day, and the following week it'd be Scotland versus Ireland. Completely different intensity, scrutiny, and I loved the the, the transition. I had great memories of um, Six Nations, one or two not so good memories, um, but it's memories you'll, you'll treasure. And, uh, it's on to these guys now who play. You're slightly jealous, or massively jealous that they can still do it. Um, but yeah, a lot of good memories to, uh, to take forward. I love the way the story changes week in, week out with Scotland at the start. It's maybe, Benny, they can get a couple of wins and now it's like on for the slam. Well, it's I think brilliant. a few people, you mentioned about you know, Edinburgh against Leinster and stuff. I think a few people actually thought it might happen because of Glasgow's form. And, and you almost saw the first, the first sort of half of the game when they, when they scored all those tries. It was almost similar reactions when they scored. So we saw Glasgow when they thumped Leicester a couple of times. They were running in, and you sort of just get that momentum at the moment. And uh, Scottish rugby's on a high, and, and uh, you know they were really good for their just win. Just got a win in Paris now against the biggest side that's ever seen. <laughs> Why not though? The game? Why not? Oh, no, I think it's, it's possible. Run them off their feet. Yeah, definitely. Um, we're going to delve into all the games over the course of the weekend and look ahead to the next round over the course of the night as well. But uh, let's talk about where you're up to now. Um, still heavily involved in Scottish rugby at club level, of course. Yeah, I'm. I'm so fortunate. Uh, I still work for Scottish Rugby, a skills coach across, we've got four professional academies, um, so a skills coach across that, ages 16 to 20, 22 year old, uh, men and women, which is something that I really enjoy. I studied as a PE teacher before I turned professional, so it's something that, uh, that I really enjoy, and if I can help the young breed coming through with my experiences, so be it, and I'll drop into Edmund and Glasgow, help the goal kickers there as well. Are you imparting your, your, your posing kicking style? Because do you remember how this man used to kick? People talk about Johnny's poses. Look at that right leg and the left arm. It's ridiculous. 
<laughs> and it consistently so. So I'll tell you what we're going to do, right? I'm going to... Let me get these out of the way. And uh, we've got a ball here, all right? So, okay. I want you to talk us through your <laughs> kicking style. Why you kicked and set up the way you did. And then I want to test your nerves, see if you can land a little kick. Is it I'll let you set that ball up, all right? Is it, is it my nerve we're testing or these guys? Well, the first thing is I would have the ball. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Remember the little agreement ben, we had before the show? Ben down, Ben. No, the, um, the first thing was really important was almost preempting a kick. So if we had a, a line out, um, <laughs> would, you, you could almost preempt it that the penalty would maybe be on the 15 metre line. So you'd, you'd think maybe a phase ahead in, in 20 or 30 seconds, you may be kicking a penalty. If there was one or two scrums collapse, you thought, if this happens again, you may be kicking a penalty. So, so getting your mind into the, the thought it was really important so you could preempt it a little bit. And then it was about slowing down your heart rate, self-talking, telling yourself you were nice and calm. Um, and that came to, I suppose, the act of kicking, which didn't always work. But for me, it was three key things. I did, I would look at precisely the part of the ball I was going to kick. Um, I'd stay nice and slow. And my left arm, maybe not in that one, uh, but my <laughs> left arm would hit my, my left ear for, for a reason. And that was to keep this left side of my body in the kick. If it didn't hit my ear and was out there, you're running the risk of hooking badly. So the left arm was in. Have you still got it? I don't know, have we? <laughs> we well, give it a shot. We'll give it a, give it a shot. Is that, Just is a light, light. Oh, are. he's there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's good back. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> good back. Still holds us there, mate. Right? Um, it was an absolutely brilliant game between Ireland and Scotland on the weekend. It was set up really nicely as well. There was a war of words, uh, and particularly from Ronan Nagara, who was very outspoken indeed. And he said, you know something? They're being a bit mouthy. I hope we hammer Scotland uh, too mouthy, but can they back it up? Ronan, yes, they can. Scotland outdefended Ireland, or Scotland outthought Ireland? Um, there's a lot of good coaching. There's a lot of good coaching detail in the game. Alex Dunbar's try from the line out, you know, underlines that. But um, I, th I thought Scotland started the game tremendously well. The first half, I thought on on. Ireland's defence were quite narrow, they were really quite tight, which uh, gave, gave Scotland the opportunity to attack the edge. And well, we saw a different Ireland in the second half. They really did you know, run harder, more aggressive, uh, so they had less defending to do, but um, they'll come good. They're a good side, they're well coached, and it just shows you, like we said at the start, there's so little between the teams. We should talk about how good Scotland were, really, more than how Ireland were great in the first half, I guess. But, Oz, let's start looking at some of these stats. Uh, first of all, we've got the overview, uh, boys, and just gives us a, a shape of how the game went, how it was played out, Benny. Yeah, actually, well, if you look at those stats, it, first of all, if you see 32 missed tackles, you normally see a loss mm -hmm. on the, on the uh, board. But uh, total tackles was immense. The forwards were incredible the amount of work they put in. Backs as well. A lot of those 32s were... Scotland trying to force Ireland into mistakes, trying to back them back in defensively into different areas of the field. Dominant hits, not that high from both sides. It showed that both sides had good carrying game going forward. But the stats from some of the forwards for Scotland were just in incredible. Yeah, the breakdown was, was a huge part of it as well. But if you look at who were the top carriers and, and, and things, CJ Stander, he made an awful lot of carries, but he's not getting the sort of collision dominance that he's had uh, and, and breaking those tackles that he's had for months of this year. Every time he's carried, he's been getting five, ten metres. He wasn't. He was only getting, look, 24 carries, 49 metres. He's only getting one or two metres per carry. So that work rate by the forwards was massive. I think what it shows is normally with Stander, you see him running slightly wider channels, but he was very, very tight. He was taking on the fringes quite a lot of the time. And I, I think it sort of stems from Paddy Jackson, maybe not mixing the game up that much. When we saw Ireland at their best against the All Blacks over in Chicago, they played with great width, great variety. And we didn't really see that. And whether it's not 
whether it's Scotland put a lot of pressure on them defensively or whether or not Paddy made a few poor decisions, it can be a mix of both, I think. And the carriers, you know, you look, they're all these top carriers are Irish, so that's how much work rate they got through with ball in hand and all the top tacklers were the forwards. The guys that stand out, though, look at this, 27 and 23 tackles, the two Gray brothers, but actually they were Scotland's top carriers as well. Um, Johnny Gray doesn't miss a tackle. I don't think he's missed one for about four years. He missed two in this game, but still he was up at that 27 uh, tackle mark. But his brother actually probably edged him because not only did he have a 100% tackle rate with 23, which is an enormous work rate. Look at this, both of them, 13 and 14 carries each. And uh, Richie got the, uh, the steal at the line-out. So there's almost a bit of a Lions battle uh, developing between the two brothers. I thought it was interesting there as well, all the chat pre-match, and, and Chris, I'll ask your opinion on this, was about targeting Conor Murray. They didn't need to. They targeted the breakdown and they just stemmed the, the supply of ball, didn't they? Yeah, they did. The, um, I, I thought Paddy Jackson actually played quite well. Um, I thought he managed the game reasonably well. Uh, if Sexton isn't playing, you're obviously going to miss him. But I thought they missed, uh, missed Peter Romani. Just to, your classic away from home your player is going to disrupt the breakdown, is going to slow it down. But, you know, let's, as you quite rightly say, talk about Scotland and how they did, you know, just show so much guts and bravery in defence. To miss 32 tackles says one thing, but, you know, then the, the, the scramble tackles and the, the cover-up tackles were there with that attitude. But I think they, what... What we also are seeing in the Six Nations as well is it's not just about the stats. There has to be an element yeah. of shock in every game. And whether it, Scotland showed it at the line-out, that play was well, it's a coach's delight. They'd have been dreaming of that coming off. It's because as a, as a forward, you, you get into habits of defending and you know who the people to mark on. Now, putting in the backs, what, what um, Ireland are probably thinking, are they going to be there for a big... Ten-man shove over the line. We should point out a lot of people didn't know you could put more than eight in, uh, seven into a lineout. You put as many as you want. You can 16. have the whole team in there That's as well. You can't there. quite have that many odds. Um, <laughs> but what happened was they stacked the, all the all the backs at the front. I would love to know if there was another option at the lineout or whether they'd just gone in and said we're doing this. It's great fun, isn't it, though? It's just great fun to see that, Chris, you know, in a big game like that. It must like be that. so rewarding for coaches and players as well. I mean, the, the, the detail that goes into analysis before the game and, and for that to come off, A, have the opportunity five metres out and then B, for it to, to come off as... Uh, well, it's well executed as well, isn't it? So we'll see more of it. I think Vern Cotter's an amazing coach. Uh, their coaching staff will be innovative um, looking ahead, so we'll see more of that. And they seem to want their players to have fun. Finn Russell, the epitome of that us. Well, we're going to do a little demo, Chris, if you come with me, but I don't know if you feel the same, but I think he's been such a breath of fresh air. Watching him for Glasgow, watching him for Scotland, simple rugby done really well, ball in two hands. He enjoys playing, doesn't he? He enjoys playing, he enjoys making the right decision, and he enjoys the challenge of making the right decision. He will be... Well, he is well-marked. He is, you know, always kind of at the focus of the defence, but he's so talented on the ball. With a good pack ahead of him and a really clever nine on Saturday in Greg Laidlaw, who played tremendously well as well. I think the beauty of what Scotland did through, you know, Finn's attacking play and the pass, the pass was really accurate to Hugh Jones. That allowed Hugh Jones to get on the outside uh, of the defender of Henshaw, and then it puts Keith Earls on a really difficult position. But... Finn does that by fixing defence, by taking it towards him. Would you say this is the first time, really, that Scotland have got real threat at 10, 12 and 13? I think it's for a long as, time. as good as it's been for a long time. And a, and a, a willingness to play and a, a, an effort from the coaches to allow them to play and enjoy themselves. Well, he's not a... 
Keeping Wicket, our heading six is for England. Our next guest likes to catch up with what's going on in the world of rugby. He's a massive fan. He did actually play fly half for Yorkshire in his youth. He's still a young fellow, mind you. It might be unfortunate for the rugby world that he was even better at cricket. Would you please give a very warm rugby tonight welcome to Johnny Bairstow. <laughs> Hey Johnny, how are you? Right, good yourself? I'm great, yeah. Thanks for coming along tonight. Good to see you. And you. Talk to me about your rugby first of all, because you're a big rugby fan. Yeah, massive rugby fan. Obviously, growing up uh, playing it at school and things like that, it was, uh, as you mentioned, a huge passion of mine. And to see some friends now going on playing uh, in the Premiership and and representing England, uh, well, it's, it's great. I was there on Saturday to watch a few, and uh, yeah, it's fantastic. Also, oh, guys you played with have gone on to play pro rugby. Yeah, so there's some guys that are at Wasps and Gloucester, a couple of guys that I went to school with, so Tom Denton that's now at uh, Gloucester that was at Leinster, Craig Hampson at Wasps, and Phil Swain's down there as well. So. I can't think of any cricketing attributes that are needed for rugby or vice versa, or are there? Am I missing something? No, I don't think so. I think it's pretty different. I think I'd have had to be a lot, lot bigger than, than I am now, and... Uh, yeah, it's one of those things that you leave them when, when they're on one just to, uh, yeah. just to have it. Much, <laughs> what do you reckon? You'd have to be at least five foot nine if you want to play in the <laughs> premiership nowadays. <laughs> but we used to have a really close relationship with Leicestershire when we were playing. We spent a lot of time. At Paul Nixon, I'm sure you know, as a wicket keeper, he came down to the training ground, he got involved, and we went and played <laughs> cricket. It's funny as well, because I've, I've seen that you guys warm up with a rugby ball every now and again, and whenever we'd go to the hotel, the cricket bat would come out and, <laughs> and, 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 uh, and things, so... Oh, you and got, you got, yeah, you got, yeah, I got bold. I was rubbish at cricket. <laughs> and are you, uh, you're Ben Ryan's brother? Yeah, obviously, <laughs> on the screen there. <laughs> yeah, popped into the Dubai Sevens oh, uh, when we were over there. So, a fantastic day, and yeah, stole his glasses, and, and there we are. You played a bit of Sevens yourself, did you? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, played a little bit, and uh, I was actually trying to find a photo, because uh, when I was uh, 11, there was a certain uh, man on the panel that presented us with a winner's, winner's medal. Uh, but unfortunately, down at Witham Hall, we, uh, I couldn't actually find the photo, which is a bit disappointing. Cause I remember, living, right. remember him well, it was the beard. Um, <laughs> um, talk to me about Stuart Lancaster, because you, you came across him in your, in your playing days, did you? Yeah, Stuart was obviously the academy director at, at Leeds. And um, yeah, when we were young, obviously in those days, there weren't too many weights knocking around. Um, and, uh, and, and it was one of those things, fitness testing, we had to go, um, we had to go and and do dips and chins, and I managed to get three and no chins, so that was probably the end of my rugby, rugby career, to be honest. <laughs> that was it. Well, hey, the cricket career is going very well indeed. It might go even better. Um, I know a lot of you guys were saddened by Alistair Cook's decision to, to give up the captaincy, and there was, uh, you know, it, it hasn't ended the way perhaps he would have wanted it to, and, and there's been a lot of different media on the whole subject, but the next chat is about who's going to take over the captaincy, and your name is well in the mix. Uh, I'm not too sure about that. There's, as, oh, no, as you it mentioned, is, Johnny, it is. <laughs> yeah, but there's, uh, you know. there's a load of, load of people that are in the hat. I think that it's going to take uh, a good while to decide. I don't think it's going to be something that's rushed into uh, to follow someone like Alistair, uh, the stature of, of himself with his, his cricketing career, probably, well, the most coveted cricketer that's played for England, and, and his captaincy record speaks for itself. So whoever is going to take over from him is going to have a tough, tough job in his hands, but at the same time, with his experience still within the side, it's going to be... Um, good to have the comfort of having uh, someone like him still playing, still opening the baton and still hopefully scoring many, many more runs for England. Are you planning to keep talking so I can't ask you about it again? Try it. It's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to work. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot, but if it was offered to you, would you take it? Um, I'd have to think about it, yeah. It's obviously a massive role, but it would be very difficult to turn down. What's required of an England cricket captain? Um, well, you've obviously got to have great leadership skills, patience, um, if you're out there for, for five days, it's obviously pretty tough. And obviously, going through thick and thin, you've got two hours at a time. 
um, to, to be out there in between sessions and in potentially 35, 40 degree heat uh, with potentially grumpy bowlers or things that, that don't go quite your way, it can be pretty difficult. So, um, yeah, lots, lots of different aspects and I'm sure it's the same with, uh, with all, the, all the different sports that everyone plays. There's, there's different uh, roles that people have got to play within the side. Uh, you went to the game on Saturday. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was all right. I did enjoy it. It was fantastic to obviously land on Thursday and then uh, back up to Leeds, back down. So it was a lot of travelling. But, um, yeah, it's obviously a great day out to get to Twickenham. And uh, we managed to actually catch some of the rugby whilst we were away. So kept us entertained in the uh, Indian hotel rooms. Chris, I'll get your take on it first of all as the independent adjudicator here tonight. Um, I expected more from England. I thought England would win, but I expected more from them. France actually changed their game a little bit. Down there, trying to play with a bit more width. Guy Noves is sort of famous to lose days coming back a little bit, but I don't think France are particularly fit. So England's fitness came through, their bench came on. Um, probably closer than they would like, but good enough to, to get off to a good start. That's the lesson for Scotland, perhaps, trying to run the legs off them. I think so. I think, um, I think Scotland play um, France this weekend in Paris. If they can keep a high tempo, like we saw with, with Glasgow playing against uh, Rass in 92, the French teams aren't used to playing at that tempo, but getting the ball's the, the problem. That dominant French scrum, big line at and Vern who coached and played in France for such a long time, I think he'll have a, an inside, uh, some inside information and what to expect. But it's, it's getting the ball and keeping it and playing at a tempo that will hopefully give Scotland success this weekend. Ben, your take on England? Um, <clears throat> I thought the, the French actually surprised me. I thought they were fitter than I, the, the, than I, I thought they were going to be, particularly some of those big lumps that, that run around. I thought <laughs> they were superb, their, their pack was superb. Um, where England probably rescued themselves was uh, even when the crowd started booing with some inaccurate kicking. They didn't get phased by that and start trying to throw the ball around. They played the, the, the field position, which in the end got them the win. So I think sort of Owen Farrell and George Ford's leadership on that front was really good, not getting distracted by a, a crowd that was getting increasingly frustrated. Uh, but there are certainly so, some massive concerns. Probably the biggest is their inability to, to get over the game line without Mako, Bonapolder and Billy. Um, Let's talk about the French halfbacks because it looks like there might be a combination they can actually stick with and work with there, Oz. Slow burner, but it's definitely something there at last. Yeah, I think so. I, st I still prefer Machineau at nine. I think he's got a better all-round game. And when he came on, he did kick a lot more. I think there was a lot of pressure put on Lopez in the first half and uh, he had to clear his lines from deep passes, which means your kicks have got to be exceptional to make any territory. But they have got more tempo about them. I agree with what everyone said. From my point of view, I thought it was Eddie Jones's worst 40 minutes uh, with England, and then it was one of his best because it was decisions and words that he said at half-time that changed that game because with 40 to go, France were winning that match. And uh, he brought on new tempo, Danny Kerr, Tio. He became more direct in the midfield. He gave them a round-the-corner option, which they used. They upped the pace of the game. And um, I thought this, the second half was a, a huge success for Eddie Jones and for England. Radio, uh, let's catch up with what's going on with the England team at the moment. They were back in uh, camp at Peniel Park. Our very own Nick Mullins went along for a chat. He met up with Danny Kerr in the whole process. Well, there's been a general acceptance in these parts that the best thing you could say about Saturday's performance was that it was a win. England have regrouped at the start of this week, battered and bruised, but ready to go again for Cardiff. Looking back at the game and during the game, we, we still all thought that we were going to win the game. We had that confidence and I think that 
says a lot about the team at the moment. Maybe two or three years ago, it would have been a game that we'd have lost. What's the default position after a performance like Saturday's? How do you go into it generally as a coach? I think you have to, you know, assess it properly. So in the uh, in the emotion of the game, you know, there's a feeling about our performance. Afterwards, when you have the opportunity to look at it, you know, once, twice, thrice, four times if you're Eddie, um, then you can be able to look at it and get a plan. We never got any momentum sustained positive action on positive action on positive action. So we felt like there was this wave coming towards us. Uh, but when you watch it, it wasn't quite like that. It was uh, it was our errors that were contributing towards it. And then when you get the errors, it's what is the biggest fix? Like I said, you need to identify maybe the one or two things that you can change because we've only got 220 minutes of training time in a week to action all these things. So you've got to identify two or three that are the most critical. Does the challenge that Wales offer differ to the French one? Are there similarities week, week on week? I think we've seen more evidence of Wales trying to create a two-sided attack from, from an edge to a 15 metres, uh, you know, reloading the short side. And then on the open side, there were a little bit more depth um, you know, playing deep out the back and trying to test you with the pace they've got outside with the wings, be it Cuthbert, be it North, be it Williams and so on. So they're definitely evolving themselves uh, and it's up to us to be adaptable with how we defend. So there's going to be times when we can keep going, there's going to be times when we need to move a little bit more lateral and defend. What is it like? Is it, is it as fearsome as it, as it seems from the sidelines? You probably can't experience it until you, until you do experience it. You know, you can't explain what it's going to be like till you get there. It's one of the stadiums in the world that you love going and playing at. There's no talk of fear, there's no talk of intimidation, there's no talk of, oh my gosh, we're going to Wales and you can imagine it's going to be like this. It's awesome. We're going to Wales. It's going to be wicked. It's going to be brilliant. Uh, we can't wait. And, uh, you know, for, for the last 12 months we've been on a journey and uh, this England team that we've been part of, that group of players, hasn't lost to Wales. Uh, you know, we're, we're looking forward to making it three from three on Saturday. Chris, interesting, some of the, the phraseology is using positivity and more positivity and momentum. It's actually some real Saracens chat there, isn't it? Trying to get them a little bit tighter, perhaps? Yeah, I think we're just saying to Oz that the, he comes across real well, doesn't he? Mm. And he has the, the players eating out his hand. I think Saracens do a, uh, a kind of theme every week as well that, that the guys can latch on to, to, to focus every game. It seems to be working with he's England got, as well. He's just got ridiculous energy. He's really sort of infectious. And I don't know whether you've got someone like that in the, in the England cricket that people feed off. Not necessarily the head coach. It doesn't have to. It could be the kit man. But he provides that energy, provides that get up and go. And what I really like about this year's Six Nations is that people aren't afraid to say stuff. Mm -hmm. Come out and say, if you're Scottish and you want to go to France and beat the French up, say it. Because that's what we all want to hear. We all want to hear that passion, see that passion, feel the passion. And then you get there, you might win or lose, but that's sport. And it's been really good. I think Eddie Jones has been a breath of fresh air with all the stuff that he's been coming that's out with in recent weeks. I mean, that's what Eddie does. I mean, all the tweets and all the comments and everything he's made during the week. This is what he's been saying this week in the build-up to the game. Um, I just love how outspoken he is. It winds people up. I can't see that just because we drive down the M4, they get an advantage. It's not different water. Actually, it is slightly poor, but anyway. It's not different air. <laughs> the beer is the same. I uh, the pies are the same, the seats are the same, the grass is the same, everything is the same. He wants everything to be the same, Ben, but it's not. It's I'm struggling to concentrate because I broke my ribs last week and that Spanish parrot's just squeezed them down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really in quite a lot of pain. But no, the, um, look, it, it is slightly different because you go, oh God, you go, you go, you drive into Cardiff in this big black bus with a big red rose on the front of it. And people make you feel very welcome. Now, it was genuinely my favourite ground to play at. 
but it is different going in there. The whole, now the key to Eddie Jones is not to make it any different, not to get distracted when you run out. And the, the seats are different. In, at Twickenham, they bank backwards. When you, when you, when you run out to the touchline, as, as you would do as a second row for a kickoff, you look straight up, you can see Welsh people as far as you can see, and it's a hostile environment. It's an enclosed cauldron. The noise is unbelievable. I think when we played there in 2002 and the roof was shut, our, our wives in the top row said they couldn't even hear the referee's whistle. It was that noisy. So it is slightly different, but it's about, it's a piece of grass. And that's what New Zealand do so well. Wherever they play in the world, it's a piece of grass. And it's getting that right, getting that mentality right, which you can see Paul Gustards wants to do someone, and Eddie Jones wants Someone to do. had butted the bus in 2001 on the way out. Brilliant. Jason Leonard, he was trying Swelling, to... miss the bus. Swelling <laughs> still. <laughs> Don't till fall out. <laughs> um, talk to me about when you're playing away from home, because you guys, it's just part of it. You're away from months and end, you're just back from India. How do you deal with that? Yeah, obviously it's over... Well, this time it was three three-month period and then back for a couple of weeks and back again. So when we went to India, you were saying about hostile environments and things like that. In India, it's, it's the way of life, it's their culture, it's what... It's what they're, they're grown up with, and uh, people like Sachin Dendulkar and Virat Kohli and MS Dhoni, they're worshipped over there. They can't leave hotels, they can't leave their house, and, and yeah, it can be a pretty hostile environment because all they want to see is their heroes. Um, but then it's a different hostile when you go to, say, Australia. Um, yeah, when you get abused walking down the street and things like that. So. And of course, we can see the ashes live from Australia, live here on BT Sport. <laughs> Isn't that marvelous? Good stuff. Um, what do Wales have to do to counteract what England might bring to Cardiff this weekend? Well, we cut up with Sean Edwards. This is what he had to say. We've got a very you know, formidable attacking outfit. And, uh, but having said that, we've had the best defence at the last two World Cups. And if we get back to that sort of form, which I think we're slowly getting back to in defence, um, you know, we'll be there to give them a game. Right, lads, uh, where do we start on Wales? First of all, injury updates. Dan Bigger, um, sore ribs. You know, Dan Bigger plays a very particular kind of way. He's good with the boots. Sam Davis, when he comes on, he likes to run the ball a little bit. Uh, who would you go with? I I'd go with Sam Davis. I thought he was very good when he came on, and he gave them a little bit more of a... Uh more of an open dimension. You've got really good backs out there, the likes of North, that you need to get the ball into. And I, I do feel that Bigger is, obviously he's a, he's a class fly half, but he plays a certain way. He plays a lot of up and unders. And maybe that was because the first half it was raining, the second half it dried out a bit. But for me, Sam, he set up the try because he's instinctive. He plays what he sees in front of him and he goes for things that a lot of fly halves don't normally go for. More of a Scotland, Glasgow, Edinburgh 10, isn't he, I guess? Yeah, I think, um, I think the, the game plan was pretty obvious from, from, uh, from Wales early on to chip and kick quite often to take the sting at the Italian defence. They were coming really quite hard. But then as the game wore on, I thought Wales could keep the ball and handle it more. Sam Davis does do that. I think it's a big, it's a big ask uh, to play England at Cardiff. You know, with Sam. He could do it, absolutely no doubt at all, but I think he'll probably stick with Bigger for, for I'd, that. I'd go with him, and there's a really good 16-year-old scrum half as well at Scarlet, <laughs> so they should start with him as well. <laughs> you heard it here first. Um, let's talk about Italy. Uh, their discipline wasn't great, and, and Conor O'Shea has spoken about, really, he's having to work on the basics and the training ground with these guys. Forget the complex moves, it's about don't give penalties away, keep the ball in hand, don't cough it up. Um, you can see sometimes that coming through when they're under pressure. Some of them were silly errors, but also when the tide started to turn against them, I think that's what Connor's alluding to, that he didn't agree with some of the decisions. When you're going backwards, it always looks worse. It looks worse to the referee. If you 
come in at the side and you're going backwards, it's more obvious to the referee. We hear the referees in the Premiership always talking about paint, paint me a picture that you're doing the right thing. You might not actually be doing it, but if it looks all right, I'm less likely to give the penalty. I think that's a massive thing. So as they started to lose that foothold in the game, those things they were getting away with earlier when they were running forward to the ball, they weren't getting away with. I guess we have to give Italy time with Connor and let them develop and get better better. I say this with half an eye on the fact that Ireland might get test match status in cricket very, very soon indeed. And you'll have to do the same with them. You've got you to bring the upcoming nations through. You've got to give them a chance, right? Yeah, exactly that. There's a whole, whole programme of that that takes place over in Dubai. And as you mentioned, Ireland, Scotland and, and all these up and coming nations that are coming through for that test match status are, are vying for possibly one or two spots in the future. Uh, right, the Aviva Premiership returns this coming weekend. There are a lot of teams still in that battle for the top four. It's, it's a good run in, isn't it? You look back to w what we were all saying about Northampton at the beginning of the year. They couldn't, uh, you know, they couldn't buy a win, and, and the, the performances weren't great. They're right up there now. That they're probably the form team coming through. Uh, Leicester, the next two weeks will be vitally important. They've got the game against Gloucester and Bristol at home, two weeks running. If they lose either of those, that's going to put a massive dent in their aspirations. But if they win them, they'll start to get some of their injuries back for the run into the season. The likes of Veano, Peterson coming back into the squad. So it's, it's going to be fascinating who gets up, who, who, who can make it up there if Bath dropped down. But Bath could easily move up that top four. I think Saints are the side to watch. After a terrible start to the season, I think they could bounce back, particularly when they get their internationals back. Chris, uh, you look from afar at the Aviva Premiership, of course. The Pro 12 is your weekend week out business these days. What are the differences you're seeing on the pitch between the two leagues? Um, I think the teams are very similar and teams that are quite different. I'd say Wasps and Exeter, the way they try and play is more similar to the, the Guinness Pro 12. Um, but the, the, the top teams, when they come head-to-head, same as international, but there's so little between the teams, if you get it right. But um, I do like the way that, that Wasps play under Dai Young. I think they've, they've scored a, a barrel of tries, um, and it's great to see them <coughs> charging up the league. Uh, I'm really surprised, not surprised, but the assumption was that Leicester were, were having a really, really bad season, but they're so close to the top four there. And, and with their heritage and, and culture coming through, they may sort of creep up as well. But open, expansive rugby in, in the Pro 12 is, uh, is what we love that for. Uh, a lot of talk this week uh, about Gloucester and whether this Altra deal is going to go through. Your old club, of course, it would change things quite a lot, wouldn't it, if it happened? Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a good old-fashioned club, Gloucester. I, I had a year there. I enjoyed my time there. Uh, one or two missed kicks bring to mind in a European game that, that, that still bother me and bothers a lot of Gloucester fans as well. But a great club with great people. Um, and... It's, uh, it'd be an interesting if, 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 if Gloucester were bought. It'd it's make a good, them force. It's a good problem, to, I think, to have if it does come in because Altarad has made Montpellier a real community club and you don't get more of a community club than Gloucester. So, in essence, it could be a really uh, a match made in heaven. Well, our live game on Friday night is down at the Rex. So, as a bit of a preview, we sent Ali Eakin down to talk to Rhys Priestland. You know, having played against Northampton with the Scarlets in the past and last year with Bath... It's a very physical challenge. They, you know, they don't sort of hide it. You, you know, you got to front up against them, and that's something we've spoken about this week. You know, they are they're a very good team. They'd be probably be disappointed with where they are in the, in the table. A little bit like we are compared to where we were, um, sort of two months ago when the prem was really flying and we were flying. But no, like I think the main thing is going to be the physicality come Friday, and uh, we're very much looking forward to it. 
So that all kicks off on Friday night. We're on air at 7 p.m., 7.45. Kick off all the gang be down for that one. Bath against Northampton Saints. The rapidly improving Northampton Saints. And I said we should keep an eye out for them. It could be a real statement game for them. You don't want to miss that. And don't forget, we're live on Sunday as well. Um, let's talk about that game. And it's a big, big chance for Saints to lay down a marker, Benny, against Bath. It is, yeah. I mean, it's a, the Rex always a tough place to go on a Friday night, but... Northampton and Bath have had some huge battles over the years down there and, and you know if they're going to it's sometimes difficult when you've had that momentum come back to you which is why I think they picked strong sides in the Anglo-Welsh that they wanted to keep that momentum for this game because this would really cement them a, a, as title challengers or not well top top four challengers and they'd be able to knock off the, the, the team that they'd be able to catch so um, it's a massive massive game um, uh, but Bath will, will fancy it at their own, on their own patch. Chris, how familiar are you with the relegation battle at the bottom of the table at the moment? Because you get a sense that Bristol are the team just moving up, still a point behind mm. Worcester at the moment, but you, you just sense they have emotional advantage of that yeah, exists. It's a, it's a good old momentum ward, isn't it? The, um, I think the, the performances of Bristol improved in one or two good results just before the break. So um, you get the sense, or from an outsider looking in, you get the sense that they're on the upward curve, um, certainly more than, more than other teams in that area. Um, Wooster, I think they should do better as well. Good coaching staff there, Carl Hoglin up there, and just, Gary Gold's gone in there now as well. So you just think they're maybe too good for that area, but when it comes down to the head-to-head, the, the, -head, the big, big games at the end of the season with a lot of pressure on them. Uh, Worcester, of course, are got they, at, at six ways. They got Saracens in and Gary Gold in, in charge for a really tough game as he returns. Um, are Saracens a team you, you watch a, a lot? Because a lot of sportsmen really admire the way they go about their business, the clinical way they go about their business, Johnny. Yeah, exactly that. And I think having uh, the pitch down there as well, being a synthetic pitch, I think that helps the way that they go about it. There's a lot of people that potentially don't have um, that, that kind of pitch other than training pitches. Um, at, at their uh, disposure to, to go down and sometimes find it quite difficult. So uh, it might suit some of the teams down a bit lower in the league to, uh, to get them on a, on a windy day or uh, might want them on a muddy, damp, cold night. But uh, when, when Saris are playing flowing rugby, they're very hard to stop. What's your Premiership club? Who do you support? Who do you... Oh, bits of both. I think I'd get, uh, get my head kicked in if I said a single one, to be honest. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, lads, you're going to have to uh, risk that now because you're going to predict who might win or lose this weekend. Off you go. We've gone very pretty, similar, haven't pretty we? Pretty similar, I think. Yeah, it's, uh, it's quite a difficult weekend to call for a lot of games. The top one could go either way. Depends on, you know, the bounce of a ball. I've gone for Bristol at home purely because of Harlequin's away form. I think their away form has been terrible. Sale aren't playing particularly well. Newcastle are full of confidence. Tigers is a tough game against Gloucester, I think. Uh, and we've agreed elsewhere. Yeah, and the, the extra game, I think, probably just the style of play down there. They'll, they'll try and make it a, a really tight style of game and uh, use that forward pack, which we know have uh, caused Wasp problems in the past. So that's why I went for them. Why did I go for Harlequins? I just wonder whether that um, European game against Bath will have knocked a bit of that confidence out of their sail. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Tonight podcast. We'll be back again in a few weeks' time. See you then. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 